we are starting a series in the book of Philippians called A Life Worth Living. Nikki wrote a book, A Life Worth Living, a few years ago to help people who have been through Alpha and to cast a vision for someone's life that is beyond acoustic guitars, scented candles, croissants, and damp tea, but a life that is far beyond, far more than people could even imagine. I did not grow up going to church. When I was about 12 or 13, I was dragged kicking and screaming to a Christian open air concert, which sounds terrible, right? But um, they said, oh, it's just a fun time at the beach. And little did I know that it was this full on concert. And if you've been a Christian a number of years, then you'll remember, but there was a band and they wrote a song that every time it was played, it was guaranteed to get the congregation on their knees. I'm gonna be a history maker in this land. You know it? Yeah, brilliant, glad, glad you do. But the, the thing is, is that it, it sung to my soul and, and then it was a, a few years later that I started going to church and I learned a few chords on the guitar and I was like, I'm gonna play this everywhere, whether it's a small group, whether there's three people in the room, we're gonna make history. The thing is, I'm part of a, an age category which are commonly known as millennials. You might have read negative articles about us. But one of the things that defines us as a people group is that we typically, according to Forbes magazine, look for jobs that either cast a huge vision or a nonprofit that give us social impact that's almost immediate, that we can feel an impact that goes wider than our own existence. Because the thing is, is we all wanna leave something behind. We all wanna leave some kind of legacy. Some of you might have been saving up since day dot to leave behind a legacy. Some of you might be working in careers so that your family may be able to thrive and survive beyond you. Some of you may be setting up charities, setting up organizations that, that, um, that means you will actually make history. A couple of days ago, I was at home with my two little girls and there was a knock at the door and it was someone selling door-to-door will writing services. Bizarre, right? But I could not stand a 15th episode of In the Night Garden, so I entertained this guy. And I was like, yeah, sure, what what are you selling? And he said, well, one of the things we do when we write wills is we first need to uh, see how much your property is worth. I said, well, I'm a millennial. We don't own property. (laughs) And he said, okay, okay, well, well, the second thing we need to do is we need to see um, how much you have in your savings. And I said, well... I'm a pastor, and I have been for about 12 years now, so you're going to have fun doing that. And then the third thing he said was, um, well, do you have any possessions, like heirlooms and stuff? And I was so tempted to say, well, my pastor last week said that Christians do not store up earthly treasures (laughs) where moth and vermin destroy. But the thing is, is is that we all want to leave some kind of legacy behind. And I believe that this opening part of Philippians gives us a perspective That means that all of us, no matter where we are at in our Christian walk, whether we've just walked in, we all have something that we can give that means that we can have a legacy that is eternal. So if you have a Bible, I'd love it if you would open it. There's a couple on the seats. We're going to open to Philippians chapter 1. It says this from verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else, I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, 
knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for the progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Amen. Thing is, you'll know this, but Paul is currently imprisoned. He had this mission to both the Middle East and Eastern Europe to go around proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, the messages of Jesus that bring, out, uh, bring deliverance to captives, praying for people, healing the sick, seeing the blind eyes open. And yet what we hit is a roadblock, imprisonment. Because of fear of what this message could potentially do to the Roman Empire, Paul gets put under house arrest. He's a Roman citizen, so he's privy to some differential treatment, which means he's able to appeal his case over and over again. But there are prison guards attached to him at this point, 24 hours a day, probably on four-hour cycles, yet Paul's idea of mission seems to have hit a dead end. From the outside, it would seem like a bleak ending to a fruitful ministry, and yet Paul says, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. So how is this arrest, this moving around, this suppression of a preacher, not simply stopped the gospel, but advanced it? And what's really irritating is that Paul is not just downcast or frustrated, but he's filled with joy and a heavenly perspective on the situation. How has he managed to gain this focus on the eternal legacy rather than the momentary suffering he finds himself in. Thing is, when I was chatting to this door-to-door salesman, one thing he said is, is that what all we try and do is we try and see uh, what you have, how much it's worth, and how we give it away. And as a preacher, I find three points fascinating. So I went straight to the pen and paper and said, actually, what's true about those questions? We can find what Paul is saying, that what, what do we have How much is it worth and how do we give it away? Well, the first thing that we have is hope in suffering. The thing is, is that the Christian life can sometimes be like everything was bleak, everything was rubbish, I became a Christian and then everything is rosy, right? Amen, hallelujah. Dandelions, rainbows, playing the harp, all that stuff. Life is great, isn't it? And yet, we see Paul chained suffering, oppressed, under arrest, and yet he finds hope. A hope that transcends everyday reality. Thing is, we all go through stuff. 
As Christians, we're not, we're not immune to pain. We're not immune to suffering. We all go through it. My closest friend who's known me all my life, been praying for daily that he would know the goodness of God. And over Christmas became a member of a completely other faith. And I was mortified. It's horrendous, the pain, the anguish of that. It's just more of a challenge now, right? Amen. But we all go through stuff. I went through all kinds of stuff growing up and it means that I'm left with this thing in my brain that says I'm just not worthy. That every time I'm introduced, by whether it's Stephen and he does a lovely introduction, I'm looking around for the other Alex Raymond that they really meant to get up here. Because we all go around with the stuff that chains us, that holds us back, that we suffer with. The thing is, when you have an eternal focus on your life, what we see from this letter to the Philippians is that the everyday chains can become an opportunity for eternal breakthrough. The suffering you experience, whether minor or major, can become a platform for the gospel. What has happened to me, Paul writes, has actually served to advance the gospel. To begin with, these chains gave Paul immediate contact with people who didn't have the hope in Jesus Christ that he did. The shifts change every six hours, which means Paul could witness to at least four men a day. Think of the stories, the theology, if you like that kind of stuff, the reasoning, the arguments. This is the same Paul who was blinded by the grace of Jesus Christ and saw him face to face. The same Paul who preached the top philosophers of the day in the Oropagus in Athens. The same Paul who broke out of another prison with the help of heavenly angels. The same Paul who saw a slave girl liberated by the power of the Holy Spirit. The same Paul who was dragged from city to city to city, thrust in front of Roman generals, in front of judges, King Agrippa, and potentially even Caesar himself. And now he's chained to some everyday palace guards who just thought it was another Monday morning. Can you imagine rocking up to work that day, those palace guards? The thing is, is that often our friends aren't impressed with Christianity on a sunny day, right? They're not impressed when everything's going wrong. But it's when we're in chains, when we suffer, when we're going through a storm, when chaos hits, that light shines so bright. And the challenge is this, is that how are we as people, how are we as people of faith gonna be a people of peace amidst Brexit? How will we be a people of peace that will live in a city where crime rates grow up and yet we say we wanna appeal for justice for all people, whether victims or perpetrators? How we be people who live in a world that strives and grabs at power as if it was the last toy left in a child's creche. How we be Christians that die to selfish ambition, die to ourself and make Jesus famous. Can you imagine the prison guard's view of Paul as he's in chains? You're meant to be upset. You're meant to be downcast. You're meant to be annoyed. You're meant to be frustrated. This is meant to stop the gospel not advance it. The thing is, is that it often looks like Paul is chained to the Roman guards. And yet the kingdom of God is upside down and it seems like these palace guards are actually chained to Paul. Right, they're actually chained to the one who's about to bring them hope. And that wherever we are at, whatever circumstance we find ourselves chained in, are we gonna bring good hope? What do we bring? 
what do we have in that situation? If the gospel is truly hope in the midst of chaos, then how we stand in a storm preaches a thousand sermons. Whilst we may be handcuffed to our circumstance, to our pain, to our suffering, no one can chain the good news of God. No one can hold that down. No one can keep that oppressed. It's good news and good news to all. And God's love is like a tidal wave that no obstacle can stand against. So don't let your suffering be a waste. The same God who used Moses' staff, uses Gideon's pitchers and David's sling, uses Paul's chains. The chains the Romans used to restrain Paul, God used to release his gospel. We don't just have hope in the situations though. We don't just have wishful thinking. The Bible says that we have joy. And the word joy is a Greek word, which is kara, which means full knowledge of God's grace. It's not just wishful thinking, it's not just putting on a good face, but it's having full knowledge, full perspective of God's grace. Paul writes, the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice full knowledge of God's grace and favor in the situation. Thing is, if you're a Christian, no matter what circumstance you're in, you're a living testimony to God's grace because you were once lost, but now you are found. You're a child of God, you're surrounded by grace. There's even confetti falling from the sky. <laughs> Hallelujah, more Lord. Christ doesn't just give you hope, doesn't just give you joy, but his very spirit resides in you. The same one who is at the Father's side at the dawn of time, naming stars, placing Adam, parting seas, standing with Daniel, wrestling with Jacob, always in the Trinity by the spirit they share, finds his dwelling place in you, in you, in you, in me. Whatever we're chained to, we're chained as a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Now, not when we get promoted, not when we get the house we dreamed of, not when we get that dream job, not when our family circumstance changes, not when we get a spare room or a conservatory. Right now, God lives in us and we carry that. Imagine being that prison guard that day, strolling into work, chaining yourself next to Paul, looks like any other prisoner, and yet he's the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Those prisoners, those prison guards could have been chained to anyone, any criminal, any thief, anyone whatsoever, and yet they were chained to someone filled with the Spirit and a message of good news. So what do you have? The thing is, the next question that salesman asked me is, what's it worth? The thing is, is what you have inside of you is so important to God that it's worth dying for. That what we carry, who we are as humans, known by God, loved by God, wonderfully and fearfully made, is totally worth dying for. The thing is, it is ultimately Jesus' suffering on the cross that is the best sermon ever preached. Amidst total suffering, an innocent life we see raising from a grave tells no matter our suffering, whatever we've got, 
Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And anything can be a stage for God to play out his good news for all to hear. Thing is, Paul was facing the very real threat of potential death. One of his charges was being a traitor to the Roman Empire. And yet for him, he says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I don't know about you, but um, wherever you work, is culture quite a trendy topic? Do you go on like workplace, residentials about setting culture, reading culture, trending culture, eating culture, all that stuff, right? Every TED talk is about culture at the moment. It seems quite a popular topic. And, and what people often say is that culture is set by the one at the top. I like to think about it like this. We fight in the shape of the one we follow. And, and when you think about Jesus, how is our life shaped? How is the culture that we set shaped by the one who died on a cross and then raised again three days later? How is our life shaped? How is the culture that we set shaped by the one who offers a place at the table for tax collectors and sinners? How is our life shaped by the one who dies for all? Jesus sets a culture that leads to death. It's uncomfortable. Both dying to ambition, both dying to pride for the sake of the gospel and with the very real faith and hope that in three days' time, all will be raised again. How is our life set by the culture of Jesus? About in 2015, I went out to a refugee camp in Calais. Um, you might remember it being on the news, it's called The Jungle, and I met a load of people there, and one lad I met there was 15 years old, his name was David, and he was from Syria, and he was a Christian. And I remember chatting with him, we were just sat on the side, and we were chatting about all kinds of things, and one of the things I asked him was, um, how long have you been on this journey? How long did it take you to get here? He's like, well, I, I left Syria when I was six years old. So he had been, been traveling for years and years and years, on foot from Syria to Calais. And the thing I said, to, I said to him is, I'm about to go back to my lovely church. I was living in the Cotswolds at the time, which is very lovely. I said, what can I tell that church to encourage them to, that, you, that you've been reflecting on? And he said, he said, well, one of my reflections is this. He was a really intelligent lad. Wish I was thinking like him at 15. But he said to me, he said, the thing is, is that in the West, people often try and become like God through stuff. You know, buy a bigger house, get a better wage, buy more stuff. And he said, but I became more like my God, Jesus, when I started this journey. I was like, wow. Because he's right, you know, the Son of Man has no place to, to rest his head, but be a carrier of good news. And so this little lad, 15 years old, felt that as he was walking across Europe, that he was being a bearer of good news. We fight in the shape of the one we follow. And so for Paul, dying, whether metaphorically or actual death, was gain because we simply follow the one who died for all. So what do we have? We have hope. We have joy. We have the Holy Spirit. What's it worth? Well, it's worth dying for, but are we prepared to give it away? The thing is, sometimes God accomplishes some kind of pioneer advance through the chains that are surrounding us. One of my heroes of the faith in the 1700s was a lady called Susanna. Now, Susanna had a family. She had 19 children. That's one nine. Before disposable nappies and YouTube. I don't know how she did it. I got two and it's a struggle. But she had 19 children. And not only that, but um, her, her husband was a bit of a layabout. He got in loads of financial problems and got put in prison twice for not being able to pay the bills. 
But also on top of that, Susanna decided she would homeschool all her children. I know, right? Saturday and Sunday's enough. Um, I'm joking, my kids are lovely. Um, but she started the education for all of them uh, on their fifth birthday. Her present as a mother to her children on their fifth birthday was she would teach them the alphabet. And so in that day, she would do a fast track alphabet. But by the age of 13 and 14, they could speak Greek and Latin. Amazing. But the thing is, to the outside world, it would appear that this single mum, pr pretty much, while her husband was in prison, is chained to her house, is chained to her family, even though they might look lovely and, you know, they're toddling around, chained to that family circumstance. And yet, two of those children were John Wesley and Charles Wesley, one of which was the biggest evangelist in the, 17th, in the 18th century, and the other wrote hymns that we still sing to this day. You never know the impact of the legacy you're going to leave, right? You never know what you might be carrying. You never know the product of the thing that you're chained to. You never know. The thing is, those three lads who dragged me to that Christian open-air concert had no idea that as they were singing, I want to be a history maker, they were making history by dragging me there. Because what happened is several years later, I started going to church. And se several years later, I became a, a youth minister and started working in, with gangs in inner city London. And then I moved out to the Cotswolds and in the, in the space of that, I also went over to Kenya and did a bit of youth work, Zambia and did a bit of youth work, Sweden and did a bit of youth work. I was working in festivals and on council estates, impacting all kinds of people's lives. And it was because those three lads had the courage to say, come to this weird Christian gig. And now I have a family and two little girls who are, who are growing up knowing the goodness of God and having a testimony that's so different from mine. You never know the impact. You never know the legacy you could be leaving behind. The thing is, Paul says... I desire to depart and be with Christ, but it is more necessary for me to stay in my body. I totally get the temptation when I became a Christian to surround myself with Christian activity, to almost usher in the kingdom of God quickly. Like if I just worship you in my bedroom and then get all my friends who are Christians around and we have a good old Bible study, then the kingdom of God will come quickly. But yet Paul says it's necessary for the world that we stay in our body. That while we're here, it's necessary that we stay in touch with those who don't yet know Jesus that we could surround ourselves with Christian activity or we could be ambassadors of good news wherever we are. Whether we're chained to a desk of a job that we just don't like, whether we're chained to a, a relationship that, that just isn't satisfying us, whether we're chained to a circumstance that just feels so encumbersome, whether we have a, whether we have a mindset that we're chained to, whatever we are chained to, God can use it for good news. You can have an impact. The thing is, Paul, as he was writing this letter under house arrest, had no idea that nearly 2,000 years later, we'd all be looking at it. We'd all be encouraged by it. It would give so much hope for people who are going through some real struggles. But yet, because of Paul's chains, Christ was known. Because of Paul's critics, Christ was preached, and because of Paul's crisis, Christ was magnified. It's possible that Paul would be found a traitor to be Roman, so be executed, but yet Paul's body was not his own, and his only desire was to magnify Jesus. So do you know that what you have in you, the Spirit of God, the hope, 
and the joy that only Jesus can give you. Do you know it's worth dying for? And all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you to go and share it. Make disciples. Thing is, is that if I look back at my life, I realise that so many Christians were involved in my life, whether it was James, who I would see every single morning on the way to school. We got the same bus. And he would ask me that question that every polite person does, how was your weekend? But I now, looking back, realise it was a bit of a tactic because I would have to say, no matter what I did, how was yours? To which he would reply, well, Sunday. Sunday was amazing. You should hear my pastor preach. And every single week he would invite me to church. And then there was another girl who I'm now married to who, um, yes, I am, who all the way through high school would be at the same house parties I was in, but instead of getting involved in the folly that was there, she was helping people, being good news, being encouraging, helping people out. And then there was this one science teacher. And I don't know about you, but I didn't have a totally wholesome relationship with teachers at school. But this one teacher called me into her office because I was um, about to be uh, uh, booted out. And she said, I I need to go through some formal procedure about your expulsion. Or you can have another option, and that's to meet with me once a week and talk about what's really going on. And the thing is, is years later, I became a Christian, and I went to our local church, and there she was sitting on the front row. (laughs) You just have no idea, as an ambassador of good news, whatever job you're going back into, whatever family circumstance you're involved in, it might feel like a chain, but for God, it's a platform for his good news to be shared. And so we're gonna pray. We're gonna pray that God gives us the courage, God gives us the boldness, to allow our chains to be a place where God proclaims his freedom. So we need to be filled with the Spirit. We need to be filled with boldness and kindness. Are you up for that? Why don't we stand?